guys, welcome to the CP Junkie podcast, where we bring you interviews with dentists sharing their CPD stories and journeys from around Australia. What better way to learn than to follow those who've already done it before? CPD Junkie is Australia's most comprehensive CPD, so head over to cpdjunkie.com.au and become a member for free to access the full features of the site. Hey guys, welcome to the CPD Junkie Podcast, where we bring you interviews with dentists sharing their CPD stories and journeys from around Australia. What better way to learn than to follow those who've already done it before? CPD Junkie is Australia's most comprehensive CPD, so head over to cpdjunkie.com.au and become a member for free to access the full features of the site. I'm your host, Lauren Stone, and today we are joined by Dr. Mehdi Rahimi. Dr. Mehdi Rahimi is an associate professor at CSU Orange. He also graduated with distinction from University of Otago in New Zealand in 2002 and received the D-Clean Dent Endo degree from Melbourne in 2008. He has been actively involved in endodontic teaching at various continued education levels both nationally and internationally. He's a guest lecturer at University of Sydney and Melbourne and a CPD mentor for the Australian Dental Association New South Wales. Dr. Mehdi Rahimi, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for that kind introduction. And it's an honor to be here um, speaking with you. And hopefully we get enough, um, especially recent grads and young grads um, watching this. Because um, I've been watching you guys and you're doing a great job at CPD Junkie. And I think I, I joined OMED about a couple of years ago with Mark Johnson. So it's great to be back. Thank you for inviting me <laughs> Thank back. you. Thank you. So before you were a specialist, you're a general dentist working at the Sydney Dental Hospital. Where did your CPD journey um, start? Yeah, so, so I, it started very early on um, in my undergraduate years. Uh, in my second year as an undergrad student, I visited my uncle, Mahmoud Torabinijad, who's a famous endodontist. As most, most of you know, the author of the Principles and Practice of Endodontics textbook and the inventor of MTA and a number of other products, in um, especially endodontics. So I visited him um, in the States. And of course, he was he's always been heavily involved in teaching, as everyone knows. So it was nice to see his balance between teaching, which I obviously love. And I come from a family where both my parents um, are specialists, uh, medical specialists, my sister also um, um, uh, a GP. So um, I, I my, for example, my dad had been doing a lot of teaching as well. So as my uncle Torabinijad and a few others in my family, other uncles. Um, so I, I really liked that side of uh, learning and no, um, eventually, I was hoping that I can reach some level of where Professor Torabinijad is. Of course, I'll never get to his level. I don't think I ever will. Um, but at least, you know, I saw the way he does a balance between probably less clinical and more research and teaching. And so I watched him go through his days and I enjoyed what I saw. A lot of what I saw I haven't even seen in Australia yet. For example, in the private practice setting, we treat one patient at a time as an endodontist, but he had actually like musical chairs, like five chairs running at once. And wow. he had a lot of nurses or I'm not sure if they're a hygienist or um, therapists, but they were doing the temporization, the radiographs and uh, medicating the tooth. And, you know, a lot of the stuff was being done by them. And he was very quick and he would go through five cases and within three hours of one of seen say 12 to 15 patients, which is pretty much uh, three days work for me. <laughs> in terms of hands-on yes uh so uh yeah I, I saw a lot i saw that he was very very slick um obviously being experienced um as an operator um he was very slick so he's also very good hands-on not just an academic um and i watched him and uh, uh professor goodacre he's a famous prosthodontist um they're all from Loma Linda Uni. I went to courses there um, for free, you know, sort of invited by my wow. uncle. I actually did get into his program in Endo, but um, I turned it down on the way home, um, <laughs> which I had my reasons for at the time. I think it was more family reasons and the ease of uh, traveling to the States uh, financially 
as well as staying there and then sitting the overseas dentist exams before you can actually work in private practice. Just wasn't easy enough and it was too long. So I decided to um, apply for a program um, under Harold Messer at the time, who uh, had written chapters in Prof. Torbenijad's textbooks and Prof. Torbenijad spoke very highly of him as well. So I ended up going to Melbourne, not the States. But that's where my CPD journey started very early on uh, from watching many, many specialists. And I, uh, I, if there's any take-home message from my presentation here uh, with you, Lawrence, is you can never learn enough by watching. Uh, and I know there's a lot now available, especially during COVID time, with you watching um, various specialists on the net. And I think that as you visit specialists, you also see their daily work. You see if it sits with you, how they work. Sometimes it just doesn't sit with some people. They, they prefer to do a mix of everything. Other times they really enjoy one area of dentistry. And as they watch more, they go, well, this is the sort of area I like to pursue and practice in in future. So I think that's where it all started. And then, of course, as I went through um, Sydney University, um, being 50% um, academic, 50% clinical position, yes. uh, what happened is I met a lot of other specialists and spent time in different departments so I think it's always good to be an all-rounder at the start. Yes. And uh, then you'll gauge and find out what you like and something will sit with you better um, than others. And sometimes you change your mind. You might start, as I did, with orthodontics and you know, doing the long course, then realizing, well, that's just too slow and takes too long and a bit too boring. Apologies to any orthodontist watching this or people interested <laughs> in ortho. It just wasn't for me. And um, yeah. you know, endo was not even easy for me. I perforated my second or third tooth, upper molar. I still never forget it. Gold crown. My boss um, at the time, which was also Ben Lee's boss, um, Joseph Shemillion, gave me oh, like wow. a tungsten carbide burr. It's the first time I used a tungsten carbide burr. I didn't realize it drills right through the fication. <laughs> I had this whopping, you know, you can see your... You know, I don't know, the whole tooth on the other side, the whole mouth on the other side of the perforation type perforation. And uh, that sort of, you know, was the start of me hating endo and accessing yeah. teeth and every time being afraid after that, not accessing or incomplete accessing. You know, it took me a long time to practice that till I started to feel comfortable with it. And then I started to enjoy the um, uh, that particular side of dentistry, endodontics, which was pretty much the bread and butter because if I see emergency patients and I wasn't an emergency dentist in private at the start, I wasn't getting my routine, you know, cases I wasn't well known. Yeah. Um, it was important that you'd be able to extract the tooth with less risk of fracturing roots. It was yes. also important to be able to get the patient out of pain. You only had two options. So I actually started to extract more teeth. I was afraid of accessing. Then I was at the end staying back till about 10, 30, 11 PM at night in Liverpool where I could see more cases than Chatswood because I was working in two private practices at the same time. Yes. Ben's private practice was on the weekend. Um, was doing night, you know, shifts and stuff. Um, yeah. And I, uh, there was a place called George street dental right opposite the Sydney dental hospital. Yes. I used to just go through that tunnel and, you know, spend from six to nine thirty, and it was, it wasn't very enjoyable. Once I wow. went to somewhere where I could have a good mentor, other uh, senior colleagues so in a group, um, I found that I could get a lot of experience very quickly and I'd do those, um, you know, Easter weekends and um, um, times where others uh, weren't seeing patients or seeing emergency patients. And then I was, I was, towards the end, you know, nurses were like, oh, Mitty's going to start an endo at 9.30 p.m. at night. And I, I was doing that. I was actually enjoying it. I was like, no, I'm doing endo. I'm not going to extract the tooth. Because I'll come back for the crown too. So it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of good both ways, you know, not just experience-wise, but also, uh, yeah, production-wise. Wow. I mean, yeah. like, let's, let's, let's break it down a little bit. So you started in second year, um, you went overseas, you were observing your uncle doing, you're interacting with other specialists as well. And you know, you're seeing how they were working. You came back and you started when you graduated, you started working. And then there you started attending, um, um, CPD courses in ortho, you started attending any other CPD, was it? Um, before yeah, so, you realized you wanted to do more endo? So some basic endo restorative courses are done as well. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I've got a little bit to say about that as well. Um, I also really enjoyed the FDI because I was part of the um, just helping out organizing team yeah. committee 
Incidentally, again, I'm part of the, you know, sort of being involved in the endo side um, <laughs> at the World Dental Congress in Sydney in September. So, well, I was part of organizing that too. But back in um, 2000 in Sydney, we had the um, FDI. Um, so 2002, it was right. that we had the FDI. So um, I saw a lot of international presentations as well as, of course, local presentations, um, Professor, so for example, Laurie Walsh, you know, I'd never met before. So I saw some amazing presentations and that also together with watching specialists and um, going through a, a program at Loma Linda um, before I even graduate, um, it was like a two-day um, program in endodontics that I did. Um, they do right. it biannually at um, Loma Linda. It was a bit over the top, I must admit, but, but uh, you know, I saw... Uh, uh, for example, a surgical molar case uh, live, you know, I saw a retreatment case live. It, it wasn't like I was going to do that. I yeah. wasn't going to come out and be a gun home and have a go with that. But it was more just seeing more aspects of dentistry. The more I saw, the more I got driven towards it. Um, and the only thing I want to make is comment, sorry, I'm sort of uh, sidetracking. Right. The comment I make is, I think, Apart from watching specialists um, and finding your local specialist that you get along with, communicating with them, gone are the days where you write, you know, you just read a, a, re a report from a specialist or you write a referral letter to them and you never speak to them. These days are about social media. Um, on Facebook, people ask me questions. I know you have in the past as well, Lawrence. And, you know, I try to check them as regularly as I can. On Instagram, people ask me questions. Um, and I give my mobile number to them, especially if they've got an emergency situation, a misadventure, broken file, um, trauma cases. I always say I'm available. If I'm in Australia, you can send me, you know, a quick, uh, this is a trauma. Can you call me ASAP or call my practice and I'll, one of, a, one of the specialists, if not me, will come on the phone with you and sort of help you out with it. So that's one side, being close to specialists that you get along with in different fields. Finding a specialist that isn't a similar age group or similar type of philosophy to you. And uh, of course, that'll be very good. The second thing I'd like to add is try to select programs that are not biased. Um, mm -hmm. It's very hard to um, do that, but... Uh, an example is the Australian Dental Association, New South Wales is very heavily involved in um, continuing education programs. So they have a very strict um, committee um, whereby they've got different specialists and very experienced general dentists assessing the program to make sure the program is worthy enough of being advertised. They've got a very strict criteria of controlling so they, 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 they really pay attention to the feedback they get from um, those participants that came, for example, they said too much didactic or too much theory. I want more hands-on. I want an extra day. I want to hear about this or that. So they, they try to meet the, uh, regularly meet the participants' um, expectations. They've got a lot of people at the ADA, especially New South Wales, organizing these programs. They are the most, I'd say, number one um, um, association in New South Wales is way way ahead of the others around um, with all due respect to the other states. So a lot of people from other states also come to the ADA New South Wales courses and more importantly the presenters they pick and select. Um, yeah. uh, they're obviously well known and the presentations they give often is not manufacturer driven. So it's not mm -hmm. like you know you get up and you say oh by the way I taught you to use this file but here it is, you can buy it at 10%, 20% discount. You know, they try to sell you um, yes. uh, the, the new file, which is better than the rest. That's very anecdotal, um, yes. you know, non-evidence-based. I'd rather go to programs where they teach you exactly how they treat the case. Um, and every specialist might teach you a different way in that program. And you also have all the all the sponsors there. You have all the companies giving and sharing their products with you. It's not like they expect anything in return. And you know, some people will prefer this product to the other. And of course, there are these. Um, there's, there's this variation in uh, someone preferring one product to the other. But there's different ways to skin a cat. You know, and I'll yes. find a better better way to say this if you're a vegetarian. But you know, um, yeah, there's different ways to do things to, to, to reach central station. You can take different, you know, ways and forms. Yes. It doesn't matter how you get to it. And it doesn't mean, mean that one 
particular programs better than the rest. So some of those smaller programs, which uh, may teach you something, just remember that you should probably look into programs which are collectively a lot of specialists and uh, different specialists, different age group specialists, different experiences are involved in with yeah. multiple sponsors. Yes. I think that's interesting that you talk about it. So I guess what your takeaway was from attending all your different CPDs early on was to find courses that aren't um, biased because a lot of the earlier ones you felt was like trying to sell you something. And yep. a lot of the other thing you mentioned was that find reputable um, speakers, you know, whether they be specialists or um, of the sort that know what they're talking about as to as opposed to someone else who might be a bit more biased to some of the material that they're talking about. Yeah. Um, so yeah. no financial interest or admitting to a financial interest when you um, get up and you speak about a product or a material or a new technique and mm. then you teach them hands-on or whatever. So I, I, I do like the hands-on courses. I think as many hands-on programs as you can get, especially initially, would be great. Uh, yeah. Of course, these periods are a little bit more difficult with uh, COVID restrictions, but yes, I'm are. sure after October, especially in even in New South Wales, there'll be programs and we're running, well, we're aiming to run back to the mini residency um, module three in October, end of October. And by then, you know, there'll be strict protocols for COVID. But yes. um, the more hands-on, the better. And mm. just be careful. Um, use your own logic and common sense when you listen to someone say this is the best product or technique and no one else can match this, you know, oh, it's changed or revolutionized dentistry. I mean, be open to change, whether you're old or young, uh, whether yes. you're set in your ways, always be open to change. This is the thing about specializing because you um, you learn that you've got to trial new products and you've got to be open to change when people say, oh, you access teeth this way now. Because the way I accessed before, I thought was conservative, but it wasn't. It was, you know, even under the microscope, we used to have a lot bigger accesses. And with time, with new technology, with new files, we we're getting smaller and smaller and still yet achieving where we need to be in terms of antibacterial efficacy of the instrumentation and everything. Yeah. So I think be open I mean, to change. Yeah. I mean, in regards to that, I mean, whilst we're, we're on it, um, Practitioners will probably be looking at, yeah, we attend a course, we'll learn about it, but then how often are things changing? Because a lot of times there's multiple different rotaries out there. Um, you know, how often you should they be changing systems? Because then they feel like the expense starts to rack up, right? Yes, yes. So then and you're exactly right. So if you're a practice owner like myself, um, I mean, I, I try to be as generous as I can and get everything up to date, but there comes a limit. You have a budget. And you just can't keep spending on new products that come out every every single month. That's the right. reality is there's so many products and there's even more products. And as we speak, more is coming out. So mm -hmm. if you were going to bring on every single new product into your practice, you'll be bankrupt. Like <laughs> head bankruptcy or, you know, it's going to be a very, very exp expensive part of um, you'll, you'll have to stop and be reasonable and logical. Yeah. I think the way you assess products um, and the way I assess products as a specialist, which I'm sure um, even if you're a younger graduate, um, you would understand. It's, it's a way of um, logically going through the evidence, um, looking at whether there's actually systematic reviews on that particular product type mm -hmm. or, or technique or the file type, um, looking at what the reviews tell you because a systematic review in a peer-reviewed journal would have already sieved out all the poor papers or the biased papers. Uh, a series of experts in the field would have, you know, sieved everything out and given you or chewed, chewed the answer for you. So look into that, but you're not going to get, to be honest, systematic reviews on everything. And of no. course, when they say it's a new product, they'll be like, it's better than the rest. Yeah. I think look at some gold standards um, yeah. in private practice. Ask specialists, ask them why they may recommend something over the other. And then within, you know, within a year or two, you may revise your practice protocols if you feel that the next product is going to give you uh, more efficiency. Yeah. Like it's got to be, for me anyway, a highly more efficient way or a more beneficial way or a better outcome way um, of treatment. 
So for instance, let me let me just give you a little bit more on what I mean, because it may be a, maybe a, a scenario would be better. Sure. I, I assessed my cases um, from 2008 when I graduated to 2012, then to 2021. So, you know, I can put up three different slides on average molar endo cases of teeth that were minimally restored, let's say, or they didn't have like, you know, a heavy access. And I can tell you that my access has changed over this period of time. My tapers cervically, coronally changed. My apical sizes even changed. Yeah. So how did I get to... 2021 from the time I graduated and what was the differences? Well, I observed my own failures. I asked myself, I mean, one of the hardest things, one of the bad days at practice <laughs> that I, I still can't um, come to terms with or does really still rev me up is, mm -hmm. and they seem to all come together for some reason. Like you go to uh, your work one day and then you get three failures in a row. So it yeah. really does your head in. But you need to learn to love your failures and you need to understand from what happened and give yourself reasons as to why it happened so you can only improve. Because every day we're learning, doesn't matter how old I am, how experienced I am, I'm always learning. And I'm yeah. always willing to change and I'm always willing to even listen to my younger associates because my younger associates will probably teach me more than the older, you know, more set in their way. Um, specialist or um, my mentors in the past. So the reality is you learn from everyone. Um, you keep up to date, of course, when you've got a, a larger practice because you can always discuss cases and learn different ways. And you know, as I said, you learn a lot from even younger associates and new graduates. As much as they learn from you, you learn from them. There's different right. aspects. Of I mean, they might learn the management side from me, communication yeah. side from me, but I learned from them why they treated this tooth this way. And I still remember why I changed over this many years is I saw my cracks. I also saw those younger associates come through. And as I'm assessing their cases, especially in the first six months, I'm pretty strict with not letting any case go through the door. And I tell them, look, you know, don't get offended. You can also look at my cases. We share things, you know, we're, we, you know, we just want to all strive to be better at the end of the day. Yeah. We can only learn from each other. Um, so as I'm watching, I'm going, well, I think he, for example, he or she, prepared this too minimally. I think there wasn't enough apical size. I think this is narrow. It's uh, underprepared. We call, used to call it underprepared. Yeah. Um, you know, why is he not opening this access up? Why is he um, leaving this uh, pop horn behind? And then I realized that actually, in hindsight, the number one reason for failure of endotreated teeth is either because it was cracked before and it cracks further under cyclic load, uh, could be the bite. We forget the bite often, but yeah. the second reason why the tooth cracked is probably because of our endodontic and the restorative procedures. So I, I started to look more into that. I started to share cases that failed with Ben, joint cases of ours that failed. You yeah. know, I'd retreated the tooth and I bought it out more. And he'd put his, for example, amalgam nair, you know, technique that was very common amongst prosthodontists graduating then, being taught at Sydney Uni and other unis, they would do amalgam yeah. nair. They'll, they'll pack amalgam in the orifice of the pulp uh, root canal. And then that might expand and crack teeth. That might create wedging, barreling forces. Or my, was it my preparation that was a lot larger that led to the failure? Was it my access into the tooth that wasn't thought of very accurately? So yeah. you can always assess your own cases and then go, all right, I'm changing to this system, whether it's this rotary versus that rotary versus hand, because I want to achieve this because I can see that the outcome through my own analysis of cases, as well as what I've read from reviews and, you know, uh, peer reviewed journals, uh, systematic reviews, especially is telling me I, I've got to be more conservative. Mm. I've got to address it by buying this product, that product, and that product. That's worth it. You know, yeah. going to programs means that you can even go to your um, boss, your your mentor, and go, all right, with a evidence-based approach, I've been to this course in international or local, whatever, and now I'm saying maybe we could look into these two. You know, we might not be able to change everything, but how about if we get this because of these reasons? Then you can actually give them a mini lecture. 
you know, <laughs> sell it to them after. Yeah. I guess I hear what you're saying. So basically, it's a combination of uh, what's evidence-based and good solid evidence um, over a long period of time, as opposed to the you know what's fresh and new, and then combination of that with combine that with uh, what works best in your hands. You know, exactly. seeing what works best and using that combination together to really determine um, whether you're going to go full-fledged with the new um, equipment and all that kind of stuff. Correct, and and, and definitely if you're more tuned in to say for example doing more orthodontics at your practice then it's it applies to ortho more than other assets of dentistry that you might be doing less of if you enjoy your endodontics then you want to excel in that then you probably will do more courses in that and then you'll probably change some of the products there so it doesn't mean that you know you'll you'll have the be all and end all of every specialty and everything that comes out every gadget that comes out but over a period of time again i address i, I say this because specialists definitely think this way when they graduate it is not like you're going to practice exactly the same way by the time you you know leave dentistry and you retire it's mm -hmm. an ever-changing ever-evolving the, the you can't keep up with the technology like mobile phones you know, for example yes. but at least you know once every two three years you can revise that asset of dentistry that you feel may need you're either practicing more or it might need more revision and mm -hmm. again being in a group practice it allows you to do a bit more everywhere because then you know one of your associates might one of your colleagues might you know prefer this type of treatment more they may attend those courses more and then they are more the endo type you know based yes. uh, associate and the other ones in also the other ones in pros and veneers and all you know yeah. all of that yeah I want to come back to you for you know early on. You mentioned um, that you perforated through a gold crown. I mean did that was that a catalyst to you saying actually I want to go and learn more endo or because for some people sometimes that might set them back and they decide you know what I just don't want to do endo for a bit because that's like a um, yeah so look yeah uh, yeah I'll be honest um for a while um it's it, it's hard to get over a misadventure I mean it wasn't negligence it was just a misadventure right yeah um and the same things happen to others when i speak to them when they fracture a rotary file you know and it is a file they may have not used as often or we're experienced to use then they just move away and they send all their molar endos yes and then after a period of time you realize you can't simply do that if you're in a private practice you've got to do a fair degree of you know all sorts of dentistry and molar endos so i then saw those particular people do further training. I even saw them eventually buy a microscope and they love endo. They've done, say, further training and advanced training programs and they've gone through, say, our mini residency. And all of a sudden, somebody who wasn't doing molar endo after a broken instrument is doing it now. Same thing happened with me. I mean, for some time in private practice, I just went there and I was dreading the um, molar access, yeah. <laughs> especially if I couldn't get in and it wasn't like an open pulp chamber, patent pulp chamber. Yes. Then, you know, I was so afraid of drilling further because of what happened. I was traumatized. And then over a period of time with practice on extracted teeth, which I did, <laughs> just, yeah. you know, pick up as many extracted teeth. Uh, peri-involved teeth are often good because they're calcified <laughs> the root canals. Yeah. Um, so I, I started to access and, I, I, I you know, I asked uh, questions from at, the, at that period in time. I was lucky I was still at uh, Sydney Dental Hospital, United Dental Hospital, what we used to call it before. So yeah. I had someone like Professor um, Peter Duck-Manton, for example, and I'd go up to him and go, oh, you know, is this okay? I was, I was practicing on patients in the hospital still. So mm -hmm. there was a degree of, uh, okay, I've got insurance, but also reassurance <laughs> yeah. that the hospital setting is slightly different. You're less likely to be sued and get in trouble. But it was more going those nights to private practice doing those late nights at, I still remember George street dental yes. where, yeah, I was, I became very conservative and for a period of time I was avoiding endo, you know, molar endo. I was, I was, I was referring them off rather yeah. than actually starting them until I got more comfortable. The more extracted yeah. teeth I did, the more programs I went through and eventually of course, specialist training, um, uh, the more mentors I had to come and hold my hand for quite a number of months, if not years, to be honest, um, maybe over a year even, 
Um, I had um, a guy by the name of um, Dr. Jen Russo um, from Gentle Dental Care in the yes. Liverpool practice I worked out of come in many, many times to refine my access or de-roof the pulp chamber that I was afraid of getting into right. until I got my confidence back. Yeah, right. there you go. So, I mean... I mean, let's put it this way. So you're 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 struggling, but you're trying to improve on your endo, right? And yes. over here, you've got Ben, um, your good colleague. He's doing like crowns. He's doing veneers. He's doing these. I mean, for a lot of new graduates right now, that's what they're kind of attracted to. They're attracted to the implants, ortho. They're doing the, like the cosmetic veneers and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you yourself. I mean, you're struggling here with endo. I mean, why didn't you jump ship and do that? What end up? You know, how did yeah. you end up pulling back into endo? Yeah, look, uh, I think it was the number of cases I'd seen um, in my early years, in my first two, three years, <clears throat> that ended up being because of where we're at in uh, the mo at that period in time, Liverpool was far away. It was not like central like it is today. No, yeah. Um, patients, their probably affordability was an issue, so they couldn't see an endodontist for all their molar endo as easily as city patients or east patients. And I think it, it meant that I've got to try to do as many endos as I can in those periods of times where I, I might, the timings of my practice were like Fridays and I did Friday late nights, um, like it was at 8 till 9 p.m., very long hours. Um, I did Saturdays. But routinely it was Thursday nights, you know, Thursday all day and nights, Fridays night, Saturday 8 till 5, and sometimes even Sundays. Um, so I, during those periods, you're going to see a lot of emergencies. So as part of seeing emergencies, you're either going to extract, most common is extract or extirpate. And so I started to do more of that. And then, of course, after extirpation, after visit one, they come back for visit two for instrumentation, then visit three or four obturation. Then you probably would do the restoration. So that was what I uh, was doing a lot of. And I did start to do a lot of onlay work as well because every endo became an onlay or a crown. <laughs> yes. um, and so I focused in or honed in on that aspect of dentistry. It depends on what you do more of. If you go to a, I don't know, practice where they're more cosmetically driven, you might be doing more bleaching, more orthodontics, more aligners, you know. Mm -hmm. Depends on what you do more of. And I think with doing more and practice, you're going to uh, enjoy that more in, 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 in a way. And yeah. for me, if you, the short answer to why endo, apart from the fact that I enjoyed it more, mm -hmm. um, I think it was more because it wasn't because of my family background, because uh, Professor Torbinijad, as I said in my previous um, Sibili Junkie uh, <laughs> talk, uh, actually told me, do also. It's a lot less stress-free and, you know, you'll earn a lot more money, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, I do also. But it was more like I tried also. I never did also in undergrad. We never put a bracket on. And then all of a sudden, yeah. I did the long course where you get your own patients and you got to treat your own patients. It was way too slow uh, for me and yeah. it wasn't enjoyable I, I wanted the more hands-on you know more technically driven um side of um, dentistry um i didn't enjoy the cosmetic cases i did the five to fives you know lvi mm -hmm. style um <laughs> cases that i did which were definitely not right um yeah. definitely wrong from the start even to be honest the temporizations were wrong you know you were sh cutting corners and shortcutting and putting in temporaries that are glued together without, you know, taking them off and polishing them and putting them on single by single. So it was a lot of that I, I you know, I didn't enjoy. Um, it wasn't um, to your ethics. like It, it wasn't to my ethics yeah. as well as I found that um, I particularly liked only focusing on usually one tooth under rubber mm -hmm. dam and yeah. just going zoom in on something very, very, I guess, narrow in a way, just mm -hmm. one, one tooth under rubber dam yeah. with good music and uh, rather do four or five of them a day than say hundred patients through also. <laughs> so yeah. It was just too much for me. I prefer to just slow and yeah. as precise as I can go through that particular case and perform mm -hmm. the endo, not forgetting that everything else I learned was very important because all aspects of dentistry, including especially the bite and the restorative aspect, is extremely important. You've got to think of perio, endo, pros, and never treat the endo in isolation. So I think everything else helped, even ortho, alignment of the bite, you know, all of that helped me 
um, become an all-rounder before yes. I start to, you know, go narrow into that field of endodontics. Right. I mean, how, so how did you find the specialist program when you were going through yeah. it? It was very hard um, uh, because I was really enjoying my lifestyle as a, as a, as a general dentist. I was, I was yes. doing quite well. Um, especially working out at Liverpool, I was seeing a lot of patients and long days and, you know, grossing pretty well compared to other colleagues, you know, some new graduates of my time. Sure. I think it was about three years out. Uh, we incidentally studied with Ben, you know, the primaries. I, I had to sort of drive him towards, please, just study <laughs> with me, even if you don't want to specialise, because I studied better in a group. I'm, I'm like a pigeon. I am better in a flock. That's why I prefer the, you know, the group practice as well. I always prefer to be with others, not by myself. Um, ben is yes. probably a little bit at times different. He was more, you know, independent. Yes. I was like, can you just study with me? You know, just, just sit it anyway. You might change your mind. <laughs> so we said <laughs> he the does primaries. credit you for wanting to specialize. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that. And uh, similarly, like, you know, I learned a lot from Ben, you know, and he was a very meticulous operator. I still remember like um, assisting him in um, emergencies Yes. I was so bored. Like he would take ages to get his, you know, fine margins of this, say, fractured tooth restoration and polish it and add, adjust and add composites. And I was his DA, you know, Sunday night at 10 30 <laughs> p.m. I was like, bloody hell, I want to go to sleep. I got to start in the morning. <laughs> so, yeah, I learned a lot from Ben too. I mean, we, um, in a way, as you know, we work together at um, Chatswood at a, a specialist center. And I've learned a lot from him, his way of running business, uh, management of business side. He's very strict. Uh, you know, there, there are different aspects of me and different aspects of him. We just mesh in together really well. And it's good to sort of uh, complement each other in a way. But mm -hmm. going back to what I was saying is, it's, it's the, look, the specialist program was hard financially. Uh, one thing, you got to be prepared. Um, Family-wise, you have to be prepared before you specialise. Um, I've known of a number of marriage breakdowns, relationship breakdowns because of people getting so stressed out through their specialist program. And to do well in a specialty program, um, specialty with, uh, especially with the ones that are well known or recognised in Australia and other other countries, of course. You really have to put the time and effort into it. Um, it is not financially rewarding for those three years. You're just spending money. Um, yeah. on, 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 on the program. And, you know, you, you've got to do your, everything you're asked to do, not just seeing those patients, but spending many nights till, you know, I had about average five hours sleep um, every wow. night. I got, I actually adjusted to the five hour sleep. It was very hard because I, I would get up in the mornings and get myself prepared for a literature review I had to do, a seminar I had to do, a case presentation I had to do. And then I had to see a full day of, you know, patients, um, clinical days as well. So um, financially speaking, you know, I, I learned that you start with barramandi on year one, you finish with soup if you go out to <laughs> a dinner date, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and they start to uh, go, on, go on a diet, a special diet. Um, yeah. So that side, as well as the pressures, um, I can be honest and tell you one of the hardest times of my life, uh, just for those that may need to think about this, is the failure of my research project towards the latter half of second year. So out of a three-year program, you're yeah. meant to do a minor thesis and conduct a research project. And my research project fell through. Um, wow. I'm not going to bore you with the reasons of it, but eventually by, you know, towards the latter half of second year, I was going to quit. So I wow. said, look, I don't think I can do another extra year to do another research project. Anyway, um, Harold Messer was very uh, patient with me because I did my research under Harold. I did the clinical side with the Prof Parashos takeover of Harold's, uh, you know, running the program type thing. So I had both of both worlds. Um, Harold was very experienced with research. I latched on to a PhD of Harold's, like PhD student Harold Messer's. Luckily that PhD student helped me a lot and I graduated in time, but um, I still remember my mum at the door of uh, my uh, our apartment um, in Melbourne, and I was I said I'm going to quit, I'm about to retire. I don't want to pay for the say the next uh, semester tuition yeah. <laughs> fees. My mum at the door with her luggage. You know, I'm here to make sure you get through. Being 
you know, Asian background as well, you know, Persians, yes. um, Asians, you know how it is. Um, I think you understand me better. Yes. That sometimes, you know, at times you make decisions in life, but your parents care so much. Sometimes that care is not always good. Of course, they're a bit too uh, <laughs> too tough on you at times, but they're, you know, she's like, no way. Not after, you know, a year and a half, yeah. <laughs> you know, three semesters, you're not going to quit in semester four. You're going to go right to the end. And I said, all right, mom, well, you know, this is what's happened. So she sat down with me and she spoke to me and she actually stayed in Melbourne because she was from in Sydney. Yeah. With my, my dad and everything. And she stayed for, I think, at least three months until I got myself back on track. And then when she was sure I'm going to graduate, she left. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is one of those dark days when, you know, having that support network really comes in handy to kind of really um, focus you back in on what you actually want and push you through those dark days, hey? Yeah. And I, I can't say that enough about my parents. I mean, They've always supported me through all aspects of life. Um, my dad, you know, he has a saying I have in front of me. Um, I'll just show you guys. Uh, um, so this is actually me in IADR Japan. I won an award for um, a research thing. This is in Farsi and it says persistence is the key to success. So I got that, you know, because I won an award. Um, it's part of Australia, New Zealand, sort of like an international thing. We yeah. had a poster presentation. Then I got invited back to give a live presentation as an undergrad. Mm -hmm. And so it was nice. Not, uh, and I think my dad's uh, practice makes perfect and persistence is the key to success has always been with me. So I persist until I, I never give up attitude type thing. Um, that's the problem. Even in endo, I don't want to give up. <laughs> I want to get down that canal and, you know. Yes. And it's, it's, it is nice. It's, it's always nice to challenge yourself and yes. uh, with different, you know, uh, ways of treating cases, eventually you'll realize that most, there isn't too many cases you can't do. Mm. Honestly, in, I'd say in endodontics, um, you know, cases that I, would, I wouldn't dream of doing when I first graduated. Now I have a way of managing them where I can yeah. manage most cases, which is rewarding when you persist. Mm. So it's it's a combination of having the right equipment, the right knowledge, and then that attitude, and then and then all that coming kind of together to kind of get you through these um, tough cases. Exactly, and I think yeah. look with uh, good um, mentorship or with good um, discussion of cases with uh, whoever your mentor or your local specialist is. Um, whoever you've gone through their program, if they, if you run cases by them, I still last week, um, there was a certain case, uh, you know, where, um, to be honest, in this case, the dentist was doing my head in. It was the second time I had a bit of an encounter with the dentist. Um, and, and the case in short was, um, he was really upset that I cut crowns off and he was right. like, you know, why did you cut this crown? It was perfect. And I'm like, well, it wasn't you know, the bite wings showing potential caries underneath. I went in and I took photos of the caries and I said, look, I cut crowns off. I don't cut corners. Yeah. You know, don't send to me. Anyway, I had, I, I always run cases by Professor Parashos and he was always there for me. So he wasn't just going through his program three years and goodbye. I have mm. every year had many discussions with him through the year, every three to six months. I update him with where I am in life and it's nice to have a friend um, that you've shared your life with through postgrad and they stay your friend. And Pro Professor Pashos was exactly that. Um, wow. And he's always there to have a discussion about difficult cases, whether it's management or a case where I can't manage or a case which is complex where I need um, a second opinion on. I've always had him as a backup where I've always called him. Apart from that, of course, Professor Torbinijad too. Occasionally I run the case by both of them. You know, <laughs> I send an email to Prof Torbinijad, send the case. Then send it to yes. Paris. And I just sort of collate what they they see and often they see very similarly. They think the same. <laughs> it's good to have a few mentors when you graduate, which kind of leads me to my next question, which is, you know, what's it like when you do graduate, especially, in, you know, for a lot of specialists, do they consider setting up their own shop or working uh, for someone first or working for a team of specialists? Um, very good question and very simple answer for me anyway, like my view. Um, yeah. Of course, everyone has a different view. So like my way is the right way. I think you must um, join a specialist 
preferably, in my opinion, a specialist team. Because in that team, you've got different level of experience specialists in different age groups. Mm-hmm. And just like going through the Melbourne endodontic training program, for instance, um, mm-hmm. I don't like those programs where there's only one main mentor and 90% of your clinical component where you're treating patients, you've only got one mentor. I don't like that. I prefer to have different mentors and experience times with each mentor. And sometimes, you know, you prefer one mentor over the other so you can select that mentor again. But um, I like the group specialist practice. Uh, I, I did the same thing. I joined a group with multiple different specialists in Chatswood before I did my own thing. Mm-hmm. And that way I learned something from this specialist from this background who graduated from this uni and that specialist who graduated from that background from, from that, that uni. And um, I think you learn from everybody and you can sort of pick everyone's brain and you learn possibly more from one to the other, but it's always good to be in a group practice. Um, I never would contemplate um, setting up my own business uh, too early. I think the first 18 months to two years is really honing your skills. Um, It's the same with a new graduate. How, How could you even imagine setting up within six months of graduating. That's just ridiculous. Um, We did have one guy, um, you know, I'm not going to obviously name him, but um, he was a colleague of ours. He was an undergraduate, you know, we were undergraduates. um, We we went through the same program as Ben Lee as well. Mm -hmm. And this particular guy was one of the top guys in the class. You know, he was always very good at what he did. But one of the mistakes he did, which drove him away from dentistry, and today he doesn't practice any clinical dentistry, mm-hmm. um, or he didn't enjoy it anymore, was um, setting up his own business within six months and placing wow. implants too early. You yeah. know, doing a, a, a two-day noble biocare program and then passing or, or two-week program and placing implants straight away. I think that's a bit too quick and gun ho. Yeah. I think there's so many aspects of dentistry that you need to learn. So for the first 18 months to two years, you should only focus on your clinical cases, really. And some people take longer than the 18 months, two years. That's just an average. Yeah. They may take three or four years before they are very comfortable with most of the clinical cases that I've seen through those years, and they can manage most cases on their own. Then comes the other side of dentistry, the practice management side, which is a side which I even don't enjoy today right um the the nursing side the um manage the dentist and the patient side you know all of those the complaints side the hr side and of course you get better and you 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 get help from experienced practice managers and you get more experience with time you may even you know uh hire special companies such as employees sure for example who can assist you with that. But at the, at the start, that's the last thing you want to worry about. It's all about mm-hmm. every case needs to come out as best as possible in terms of clinical competence, yeah. in terms of patient management level, you know, how you manage the patient so that then they can go back to the referring dentist in my case. And because at the start, it's very hard. They don't know you. So the referring dentist is going to judge you by two things. Probably first the radiograph. Let me pick up the radiograph and have a look at it. How good is this guy? You know, I've been sending to the older guys. Let's see yeah. what this new kid on the block can do. And probably they might ask the patient or they might ask the patient first, how was he? Did you like him? How was he approachable? Was he a good communicator? So uh, there's so many aspects of dentistry that you learn um, that needs time. So the last thing you want is to squat somewhere and start on your own or, or buy over an old practice. That's just, uh, you've really got to give yourself time. Uh, you, the first, I'd say three to five years, depending on your, how fast you learn mm-hmm. <laughs> is yeah. a huge learning curve in many yeah. facets of dentistry, not just the clinical side. Yeah, I guess you probably see that from your colleagues when they also graduated, but also from all the associates that you kind of take on. Correct. Yeah. And I see them develop and, you know, then gradually they get faster at what they do. They get more efficient. I think they're better at communicating uh, most often. They get better at managing the case uh, from start to finish and the complaint and, the, you know, all that. Um, or picking up the red flag patients, you know, <laughs> like mm. early enough so you don't get caught, you know, with a patient that's sometimes a crazy patient or, <laughs> or pull your hair out patient, yes. you know. 
who drives you insane. So, uh, you know, I, I had a lot more of them at the start because I didn't pick them. But now I've sort of, you know, you get to assess psychology and expectations as well. And sometimes, you know, life is too short to stress about, you know, uh, taking on such cases. Or you might say, you know, why don't you go to the more experienced, you know, specialist across the road? <laughs> you know, I, I don't have enough white hairs. You know, I've come up with an excuse. I'm not experienced enough. <laughs> That's right. Um, I want to change the topic a little bit, talking about specialist clubs. As an executive of the the Endodontic Society, how do you curate the talks for the year, knowing that you have a range of skilled clinicians at the table? You know, for when we talk about new graduates wanting to join, when would you say that's the best time, and how do you cater for them? Yeah. So first of all, before you're a new graduate, if you're a student, well, I don't know if any students will watch this, but. Uh, we, um, there's a concept, you know, that I've always had, and I drive that, I really believe in this concept of uh, being part of the education research committee at the ADA. We want to attract, as part of the association, the students for free. So students also attend society meetings, um, ASC meeting in particular for free. Um, and they can watch the, the lecture, sometimes the sit-down meal. If uh, people cancel, we also get them to eat the, the three-course meal, not go to McDonald's Lucky. after. <laughs> um, and, you know, we look after those young because uh, you have to see the young generation because the young generation becomes the old and they become the teachers and they become the specialists and what have you, and the expert dentists and the experienced dentists. So you've got to attract them at the start. And so it shouldn't be a financial matter. That's how I would attract those students. And 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 for the new graduates, we obviously, you know, give them a 50% discount, let's say, for the first two years as they're a recent grad, just to help them with those initial costs, which can be a big deal at the start of them joining or not joining. And then secondly, um, in terms of uh, how I choose, or um, it's not just me, actually, it's the committee that we sort of run it by the committee. I always like multidisciplinary and I always like the older, most experienced and well-known with the younger. And I always like an international or two or a national. So I don't like um, to invite the same specialist every three to five years. And I've been on the committee since 2000 and I might've been three or four, uh, 2008 or nine. So I've been on the AC committee for over 10, 11 years of, uh, you know, and, and going through the different roles. I love to invite the international presenter. Of course, we've got COVID now, but after COVID, um, we have plans to invite multiple international presenters next year. Um, I like to mix it because I can see that um, the new the, the generation, whatever it is, Z, because I must be generation X or whatever. Um, <laughs> you guys like these or more likely to listen to these podcasts as you said yourself, on your way to work. And yeah. you prefer to stay at home and watch some webinars, right? So why don't we mix the ASC New South Wales uh, uh, program so it's not all webinars, at least one webinar where it's broadcasted to everybody combined with an international or national speaker that's well well known in the industry combined with some local experienced and non-experienced presenters combined with other specialists because it's multidisciplinary so there's so many facets of endodontics and other specialists which interrelate to each other so for example the legal side we may have lawyers or people with medical health law degrees they may give a combined presentation or a solo presentation on a topic that is relevant still to endodontics and dentistry so that's how i would uh, attract i'll give them a, a great variety and keep on changing, keep on thinking. Um, we will have table topics. I was meant to do that this year, but next year, hopefully, um, after I, I'm, I'm, I'm done as the president, we have a plan. So the vice president being Dr. Guru Sharma, um, she, she's already been chosen um, as the vice president, who works closely with me. We're in the same practice. Um, so they'll have a table topics. So this is like local specialists, young and old, uh, sit at the table with a select number of um dentists discussing various cases and topics um all of that you know the, get 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 the participants involved sometimes like uh, webinars might be good when you have q a's and polls and certain ways of assessing what people think yeah. um and, and and sometimes people are less shy to ask questions when they type it 
than yeah. actually turn up, you know, to a live meeting. So we, we yeah. mix it up. Mm. You also run a mini residency in endodontics. You know, how did that come about? And how do you support your participants during or after it, especially when some of the things that you're teaching are quite high level endodontics? Yes. Yeah. So look, um, it was a program that we thought of after, um, I call it the entree. The entree was initial programs where they were probably a little bit manufacturer driven, such as I use, I'm a KOL, I admit, for Kerr Endodontics. So we ran Kerr, um, pro- predominantly product-based courses as well. So I've, I've been there, done that. I've done, I've done those courses. Um, I do less of them now. And um, Advanced um, Contemporary Endodontics was one where we had all the sponsors and all the products and we just kept keeping it up to date. It was a two-day program. We found that people were asking for more. So upon the um, um, assessment, the feedback forms, um, I realized that people want more time. And if we don't offer it, they'll go to London. They'll do the King's College program. They'll go to Italy. They'll do an advanced training in Italy, which is an extended program. I was involved in the King's College program, so I, I, I mentored quite a few um, um, dentists through it. And I realized, well, a lot of it is theory and them doing their own um, self-directed learning, if you like, like writing their own essays and, um, you know, case presentations. Um, every um, three months they had to have a logbook of cases. Yeah. So I realized we, uh, we can do a bit of that they don't have to travel, you know, to King's College because the, the travel in terms of time became lesser and lesser since I, I was involved with that program. So I thought, well, we can probably replicate it and reduce it so it's not taking too much time and money away from the participants. So it was about money, time. They didn't have to travel all the way to, say, London, spend time away from home. Sometimes it's fun, but sometimes, you know, it's affordability and time away from clinical practice. And other times, why would they be there so often where sometimes a lot of the theoretical side you could actually do through other ways. Um, Mm -hmm. So we we reduced the theory part. We Mm -hmm. didn't get rid of it. It is replicated from King's College, to be honest, Um, uh, with the the input of people such as Jeff Young, very smart um, uh, clinician and... uh, um, a colleague and I, I sort of studied with him through Melbourne. Luckily mm. he was a year ahead, otherwise I would have never graduated. He was like a, you know, he's a genius really. So Jeff was very heavily involved in devising the program. I moderated and ran it and, you know, so the buck stops at me at the end. Um, mm. But I also am still even today, uh, even though the, the mini residencies had a bit of a hold, it's been probably the most jinx program at the moment because <laughs> we have to wait until the New Zealanders can come to Australia to, to Sydney before yeah. we can continue running the program it's very hands-on so in that matter i you know i've been in touch with them um they um, email me they uh, facebook me cases they ask about various things we um taught them and whether they should encounter when they might encounter um, unusual cases so i'm always in touch with them um i'm always as a general very open i like communicating i really love even speaking on the phone with, you know, new graduates, older graduates, um, catching up with people once in a while. Um, that's part of me as a specialist. I, I'm very um, active, if you like. So um, I, I would always be supportive of them throughout when they finished. It's not like you finished, I, I will never reply to you again. Occasionally, they've got to remind me, you know, if they send me a whatever message or email, they might remind me because I might forget I'm only human. But I try my best to respond to as many as I can. And I think that's the way we support them through cases they uh, tackle, through difficulties they may have after going through such an intense program. Because simply, even in mini residency, being in a four modules, um, really eight days, um, is, is still just a little bit off, you know, uh, sort of a small portion of a real true specialist training program where you've seen over 300 patients. So the reality is you've got to do a lot of the self-directed learning, but we give you more. We It's a more complete program, if you like, from basic to advanced to super advanced training. And then you sort of see where your level is at. It doesn't necessarily mean 
that if you do a mini residency, you'll be, you know, you you most likely will buy a microscope, but you'll be doing everything that a specialist does. You actually get better at selecting your cases and um, realizing what you can do and can't do after um, going through such programs. Mm. I was just going to ask you, yeah, a lot of the times there isn't enough time to, you know, teach and practice all the different um, exercises that there are in there. Um, but you've just said it. It's just to kind of give you a glimpse and then to help you understand where your limitations are and, you know, what yes. you can feel comfortable doing. Yes. And other ways after you've done the mini residency or before, um, you can always, for example, another way, I'm always open to people watching. So not only they can come and watch on a big screen what I do, but they can also on their day off book their patient in. So they can book their patient in, for example, on a Wednesday when they're off instead of playing golf. They can come with the patient and watch how we manage it. And they can say we had difficulty with this or that or the other. And as I'm managing it, hopefully I'm able to manage it. They can learn the steps that way. Um, other courses that are not available in Australia, which I highly recommend, I hope that... Um, People are still listening. <laughs> um, I'd say in endodontics, it's very difficult to get good hands-on programs. But in the States, I know, for example, Mahmoud Torabinijad in his private um, center in um, Los Angeles, he runs hands-on courses for all dentists, but the ones that are, of course, um, preferring really um, um, advanced training. And they have advanced training with patients. So you can actually treat patients. Um, wow. uh, and they got ways to approve that. So you're able to treat patients. And it's very hard to do that in endodontics. And I don't think anytime soon, you'll be able to watch live demonstrations. You'll be able to watch your patient be treated by the specialist, but it's very hard to get you to treat the patient. Um, it right. might not be the same overseas in many other aspects of dentistry as well. It's better you take your patient with you or go to programs where they allow you to treat patients um, within, of course, strict criteria, go to the good programs. I'm not saying, to be honest, go to Cambodia and just place implants on poor Cambodians. Um, I think that's a bit unfair. Have your ethics, have your morals, and, and at the end of the day, select cases, uh, uh, select courses where they're hands-on um, and they are potentially, you know, you're able to also see patients. Um, and I think those cases are more... Um, People are more overseas and more experienced, such as the States and Europe. You can do better courses there, have better mentoring through them, mentorship through them as well. Yeah, a bit more well-developed and it's been there for a little bit more longer. Yeah, we're still, we're still we're getting there in Australia, but I think, you know, never forget when you go overseas to programs, um, you're not only learning. I mean, I've been to Spain, you know, International College of Dentists. Um, why did I go to Spain to present? Because I saw like-minded individuals from different um, areas of the world mm -hmm. or going to the States and you meet a Canadian, you meet a New Zealander, you know, all that. And you just see they are at the same level as you, but they may do things differently and you learn from each other. So keep your mind open. Never forget that international influence of um, experienced, you know, operators such as examples, Professor Torbinijad or Professor Goodacre with over 50 years clinical experience, you know, holding your hand and they've done these courses 30, 40, 50 years not times yeah. <laughs> thousands of times yeah yeah cadaver programs well, we had um prof trobinijat come in 2019 if you recall and yes. he you know i i organized the cadaver program for him to do in australia and it went really well so hopefully more and more more international uh, presenters will come and part of ada and the strategic plan for the next five years is to make sure at least one international uh, renowned hands-on course is done from each specially or facet of dentistry in Australia. So they actually travel here, they do it here, you save yourself the money and hassle of going overseas. Yeah, that's gonna be amazing. I mean, the CPD is continuously changing and improving. Correct. Well, Dr. Mehdi Rahimi, thank you for coming on the show. There's so many more questions I wanna ask, um, but we'll have to save it for another time maybe. Um, if you could let the people know how they can find you or what's kinda going on in your life. Thank you very much, uh, guys. Um, Thank you for listening. Um, you can find me on Facebook or Instagram, Mehdi Rahimi, M-E-H-D-O-R-A-H-I-M-I. I'm also, um, of course, uh, a specialist or I run the specialty clinics um, in three areas of Sydney, Chatswood, Parramatta and Double Bay, amongst other specialists, of course, that work with me. And in, in this group practice, we call ourselves gentleendodonics.com.au. Um, so uh, we cater for the anxious patients. We cater for patients with 
severe gag reflexes. You know, we do a lot of IV sedation at each practice. So I'm, I'm happy to for you guys to, you know, uh, approach me. You know, I'm, I'm approachable whether you refer or not is a different story. I'm not expecting referrals. But if you ever want to chat about anything, um, um, you know, pe- private message me on Facebook or Instagram um, or, or um, email me, mediagentleendodonics.com.au. Thank you so much, uh, Lawrence. Thank you. If you like this episode, drop a comment below on your favorite part or leave a review. Don't forget to share it with your friends and we'll see you in the next episode of CP Junkie Podcast.